This is a question from Jason on Instagram and Jason says, Hi Victoria, do you have any tips for assessing improvisation? I always feel strange assigning a grade since I view improvisation as something personal and subjective. Thanks. Well, yes, I do. I do have some tips um, because improvisation is one of my absolute favorite things to think about and teach and certainly discuss. And then another favorite topic of mine is assessment. So this is uh, kind of a best of both worlds scenario for me. Um, I, I absolutely understand this hesitation to assign a numerical value to something that we view as a creative expression of an individual's musical um, point of view. It's also kind of uncomfortable to float out the idea that perhaps some students are, quote, good at improvising and some students are bad at improvising because we we don't ever want a student to feel that what they have contributed is somehow less than someone else in the class. And we certainly don't want to give them the idea that they are not, quote, talented, uh, end quote, at music, especially at such a young age. And so I understand kind of these hangups with assessment in general, but then specifically with the assessment of creative projects. So let's kind of dive in. We will talk about what improvisation is. We will talk about what assessment is and more importantly, perhaps what it is not. And then some ways to kind of get really clear on improvisation goals and make accessible outcomes for our uh, musical educational goals. Let's start with just defining what improvisation is because this is a topic of pedagogy that can feel kind of hairy uh, and likely because many of us did not improvise at all in our music education training and perhaps if we did it was kind of an isolated thing and perhaps not viewed as an integral part of the musicianship development experience so uh, that is kind of why improvisation can kind of feel um, strange to think and certainly strange <laughs> to ask students to do improvisation is just thinking musically while simultaneously outputting musically. It is the process of thinking and performing at the same time. When we have some separation between those two things, when we have a musical thought and then some space and then a musical output, that is more in the range of arranging and composition. So that's kind of the, the distinction there. And perhaps this is another podcast episode kind of talking about uh, improvisation versus composition versus arranging and kind of pathways for all three of those equally valuable <laughs> processes of of musical thinking. Assessment is another area of pedagogy that can also feel kind of hairy. So let's break that down as well. Assessment is just how we know what students need from us. That's all it is. And so sometimes that means that assessments are grades, but not all the time. Sometimes it means that they are formative but not all the time. Sometimes that means that this is something we are going to uh, communicate to our principal, but again, not all the time. 
Assessments are how we know what students need from us. That's all they are. I have a course about active and embedded assessment in elementary general music. And so there is a lot more to talk about with assessment. And I will link that in the show notes in case you are interested in kind of checking that out. So we have an idea of what improvisation is. It's thinking and outputting at the same time. And we have an idea of what assessment is. And hopefully this description of assessment is perhaps a little bit more broad than what we might have been led to believe. Let's talk about combining these two skills as educators in assessing improvisation. The first thing we're going to do when we assess improvisation is to get crystal clear on our goals for students. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of this activity? And you say, well, Victoria, the purpose of the activity is to improvise. <laughs> and yes, it is. But why? Why are we improvising? What about this improvisation experience do you want students to get? When we ask questions like that, we are going to go super broad, right? Like I want students to understand that their musical voice is valuable and I want them to understand that the musical voice of their peers is also valuable. Okay, so we have this big, broad idea. We can also go extremely narrow. I want students to improvise using ta and toddy or I want them to improvise uh, with, pentatonic, uh, with a pentatonic pitch set on recorder. So we have these two kind of branches. There's the, um, you know, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why that leads to a very broad goal. And then we have the, but why, but why, but why, but why, but why that leads to a very narrow goal. When we are improvising assessment, I want us to think about this narrow goal because uh, it's not that the big, broad goal doesn't matter, but when we design curriculum, we are going to start with these kind of big overarching values, but the value of uh, becoming an empathetic musician is not something that we would put as a lesson objective. So we're going to have these big, gigantic values, but then we will find a way to actualize them through a tiny bite-sized, very clear lesson objective. So here are some examples of some uh, different descriptions of an improvisation experience. Your goal as an educator, and, and by the way, none of these are better than the others. It's just a matter of what serves your goals for your students right now. What is the purpose of the activity? Perhaps it is truly just to improvise and that's it. Okay, well then we can work with that. Um, maybe you have more uh, nuanced goals or maybe more specific goals such as improvising eight beats or improvising with fluency or improvising in question and answer form, or improvising within a specific tone set or rhythmic set. Maybe you want students to improvise with speech or improvise in their head voice. Maybe you want them to improvise with an instrument, or maybe you want them to improvise with an instrument, but your goal is actually even more specific. Uh, let's say you want them to improvise with a clear recorder tone. So you can see how depending on your goals for your students at this specific moment in time, we can have many different variations on an improvisation goal. In terms of assessment, 
the more specific you can get about your actual goals for students, the easier your assessments are going to be, certainly to write and then to implement as well. And the reason this matters is that when we are assessing divergent products, so a divergent product is something where there are multiple correct answers. A convergent product would be something like uh, a notational literacy activity where there is one clear correct answer. When it comes to assessing divergent products, there is a lot outside of our control. There's a lot that the student could do that we are not prepared for. And that's the whole point of divergent musical thinking. And so because we do not know kind of what direction students are going to take it, uh, and because that's part of the magic of improvisation, we need to have a lot of clarity on our end about what we are looking for very specifically before the activity begins. The amount of clarity we can get on this purpose is going to be interconnected with our larger curriculum planning process. So if you are, you know, pulling a drag and drop curriculum from your bookshelf and you see that students are going to improvise and you need to know exactly what to look for so that you can assess it, something to think about would be where does this activity fit in the overall framework of the year? If you're designing your own curriculum, you have the same question. So this uh, purpose of the activity kind of exercise is going to apply to you whether you are using a packaged curriculum or whether you are creating your own. So that's the first thing, having clarity on the purpose of the activity. And then after we know the purpose of the activity, we can think about what kind of data we are going to use to know if we have achieved our goals as educators. Because again, assessment is not about students. It's not about parents. It's not about administration. Assessment is how we know what students need from us next. This is a circular view of assessment where students give us feedback and we design a learning activity. And then they give us feedback and then we design a learning activity. And again, this is stuff that uh, we go into inside the assessment course. So I'm not going to go too far into that rabbit hole right now. Let's talk about two different types of data and why they are both super valuable, um, but one is perhaps a bit more underrepresented than the other. When we talk about data, we are talking about two types. There are qualitative data and there are quantitative data. Quantitative data are types of data that we can very easily summarize and put on a report card. So these are things like numbers or very short descriptions such as proficient, advanced, uh, below average, things like that. These data are the ones we are probably the most used to thinking about when it comes to assessment. And that's because it's very easy to summarize a lot of complex musical actions and kind of move it all down. All of that information gets boiled down to three or meets standard, something like that. The other type of data that we can use, but that is a little bit underrepresented in terms of assessment discussions, that next type is qualitative data. 
qualitative data are very similar to how it sounds. They are data that tell us the quality of something. They give us a narration or a story. So a quantitative piece of data is going to give us a three. A qualitative data is going to tell us the story behind the three. Because when I just see a three on a rubric, I don't know if that student has had a really great day or a really bad day. I don't really know how to interpret that data or how to find kind of a larger picture, a larger framework that can help me understand that three. So we need both types of data in our classrooms. It just happens that quantitative data is very convenient for our current educational framework of assessment. So that's what we tend to focus on in assessment conversations. Let's talk about some examples of how both types of data could be used to measure our progress as teachers with assessment. Again, because assessment is about what students need from us next. So this is more an assessment of us than it is of our students. Again, because we want to know the next step. So we need some data that tell us what the next step is going to be. If we were to look at some quantitative data or assessments that um, can effectively use quantitative data, here are some examples. We might have uh, a goal of having students improvise with speech. And in that case, if our goal is to have students improvise with speech, that is a binary option. They either improvised with the speech or they didn't. And that's very easy. And so those types of assessments are super simple. We don't need to overthink it. If your goal is to have students improvise with speech, then either they did or they didn't. And so in that case, because I have clarity on the purpose of the activity, and let's say, you know, in this example that we want students to improvise with speech. Okay, well then if they don't take up all eight beats of this musical phrase, that doesn't matter because the purpose of the assessment is not whether students demonstrate uh, improvising in an eight beat phrase. The purpose of the assessment is improvising with speech. So again, having clarity on the purpose is where we need to start. Another option that could have a little more nuance than a binary option would be improvising with fluency. Uh, musical fluency in this case, how I mean it, would be like if I were to speak to you the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Those same words could also be said, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. One of those uh, performances has fluency and the other one does not. So that's what I mean by fluency for the purpose of this activity. If I wanted to assess fluency of an improvisation, I could have a four-point rubric. So a four would be uh, the student improvises with complete fluency throughout the entire improvisation. A three would be the student improvises with a clear sense of pulse throughout the entire improvisation. Some articulations may occur slightly ahead of or behind the beat. A two could be the student improvises with an inconsistent pulse. And then a one would be the student does not improvise. So now when a student improvises, I know exactly how to categorize that musical output. 
And that makes it very convenient for me if I need to assess a class of 25 third graders. I know exactly what I'm looking for and I know exactly how I'm going to measure it. But let's imagine that when we are doing this activity, I have a student who does something super duper silly because they're kind of uncomfortable that they are improvising in, in this activity. And that student who I know to be an accomplished musician, instead of outputting a fluent musical response, they say something silly instead. Okay, well, if they didn't improvise, and they said something silly instead, on my rubric, that's very clear what to do. That is a one. The student didn't improvise. But that doesn't really tell me the whole story because if I were to just look at that one, I would say, oh no, this student is so far behind the rest of the class in improvisation. I need to really make sure that this student understands the difference between beat and rhythm and I need to make sure they understand what uh, the steady beat is in the music and how we use it, all of that stuff. And in reality, that student has the cognitive knowledge of improvisation and beat and rhythm and everything else they need to know but there was something else going on in that scenario that my little one that represents the student does not improvise there's a bigger story that that one can't tell and the reason it's not telling me what happened behind the number is that that's not what it's designed to do the rubric is designed to give me the quantitative data for that specific event. If I want to kind of dive deeper into this question of, hmm, why would this student have a one here? That is where quantitative data fall short. We need to move to a different type of data. Those are qualitative. So in that scenario, I can write a little note next to this student's quantitative score that says, um, I think this student was embarrassed. I think I put them on the spot too soon and it caused problems for me and the student and the class. And I need to, uh, you know, take steps to kind of repair this situation. A one on a rubric can't tell us that story. A one on a rubric can't really tell us what to do next. So for that scenario, we really do need to combine some sort of quantitative data with some sort of qualitative data. Qualitative data might also be something like a voice memo on your phone that you're kind of downloading, thinking through the day uh, as you drive home from work. Those are qualitative data. Or it could be, uh, like in the earlier example, a note that you jot next to a student's score. These descriptions, these narratives that give us the story behind the number are so, so valuable. The example I give inside the assessment course is if you are going to have students improvise around a theme of going to the ocean, and let's say that they are going to do an improvisation around that piece, you would not have a checklist that says seagulls are represented. I hear the sounds of the waves on the beach. I can hear um, the, the representation of sailors on a boat, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous to think that you would have a check for each uh, portion, possible portion of that improvisation. This would be an example where 
qualitative data make much more sense to measure this particular musical output. So you might say something like, uh, you know, a description of the improvisation, like this student had such lovely phrasing. I could really hear that they were thinking about, you know, X musical scene. I loved that they used question and answer form. They had a great use of silence in their improvisation, and they had some nice repeated rhythms that really gave this improvisation a very advanced structure. I think that I need to talk to this kid's parents to see what other musical opportunities we could provide. That is an example of using qualitative data to narrate or give a description of or to explain the quality of this student's improvisation. So to recap, when we are thinking about assessing improvisation, we are going to get crystal clear on the actual purpose of the activity. Once we know the purpose of the activity, we can think about what types of data would give us the clearest picture of what students need from us next. In other words, the assessment results. The reason I am not concerned about about hurting students' feelings or stifling their creativity or leaving them with a negative feeling in music is that I am not confused about what assessments do. I'm not confused about where assessments fall short. I'm not confused about the purpose of assessments. When students generate a musical output, and I am assessing for one tiny piece of that output, I'm not confused into thinking that, uh, let's just say, that their use of recorder tone has any impact on their musical thinking as an improviser. I know that I am only looking for recorder tone. And then the rest of my feedback to them and then my feedback to myself can be taken care of with another type of data that's better suited to highlight and promote growth in our students. So getting clear on what assessments can do and what they cannot do in the context of this particular activity is just super, super important. One last opportunity that I want to highlight in this conversation about assessing improvisation would be the opportunity to partner with students. If you feel unsure about how to assess a particular musical improvisation and you feel like uh, you're not really sure what direction to go, or you just feel kind of stuck in the assessment part of the improvisation activity, a great thing to do is just to ask students, how do you think you did? Why do you think that? That kind of thinking and having students assess themselves can give you such valuable insight into how their brains are working through this skill of thinking and outputting a musical idea simultaneously. When we assess improvisation, we are going to have clarity from our larger curriculum planning process. We'll have clarity on the activity, we will decide if we want to use qualitative or quantitative measurements to tell us what students need from us next. And then we will view ourselves as partners with our students. When we combine all of these approaches, improvisation assessment becomes something much more fun and manageable, both for us and our students. Mm -hmm.